0: Well hello everyone and welcome to our latest edition of Opening Up Chaplaincy. I'm Stig Graham, I'm an Anglican priest and in the context of this discussion I think it's also important to say I'm an elderly white male (laughs) of the species. With a beard. With a beard. The beard is important because it does somehow, and the bald head does confer an element of wisdom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we need all the help we can get. Um, and I'm joined today, I'm delighted to say by my friend Joe Mutlow.
1: Oh, hello, is that my cue? So um, <laughs> I'm Joe, I'm a, a humanist and uh, really excited about our podcast today looking at. at um, issues around ethnicity and race and equality so hopefully a really good discussion just for context I'm a white British heritage I don't have a beard um, but I come from a mixed family which includes African and Muslim members so uh, and I feel my life enriched by by being in that family
0: So we're really delighted to have my friend and one-time colleague Leon Dundas join us for this morning's episode. Uh, Leon is presently the lead chaplain at HMP Exeter, but has also worked for several years as a hospice and palliative care chaplain, including a children's hospice. And over the years, uh, Leon and I have engaged in some very deep, at times very challenging discussions around race, culture, ethnicity, and the difficulties and the tensions that can be associated with and around them in in healthcare and in working relationships, generally and uh, I do want to say Leon that uh, that is something and what you've taught me over the years that is something I've really come to appreciate from and of you so thank you for that so perhaps you'd like just to share your critical characteristics with
1: us so we've got (laughs) a bit of context there's a challenge
2: (laughs) so um, I am I am my Facebook page will locate me as pluralist Christian, which um, I think means that having been the son of a preacher man um, and uh, um, with a history of um, Black Christian leadership in my family, um, but having the privilege of being of living and working in three different world areas, um, North America. Um, um, England, as part of Europe, and in the Caribbean. Um, A key part of that has been been a privilege of being deeply embedded in several communities. So where I grew up, we have a very strong Hindu heritage, um, and equally strong um, South Asian Muslim heritage and Chinese heritage, along with with Black people being about 50%, and if you think of the context when I was a kid of the, Rastafi- the development of Rastafarian culture and a very strong Afrocentric focus. So there are a lot of interesting pieces in my um, own understanding of how the matter of belief impacts practice and spirituality. Now, I, it was, I, am, I am happily married, I'm um, on my second wife, which makes me not as Christian as many would prefer to be me to be. Um, I am absolutely happy with people who explore a range of choices around their sexuality, having, been, um, um, ha- having had the privilege of exploring the fact that people of color, especially, who understand the pain of, of oppression could not possibly find themselves acting oppressively towards people who are in a minority based on sexual choice. Um, And and yet, unfortunately, many of my black brothers and sisters um, do make a different choice than than I do around those matters. Um, Recently, I I described myself, and I think post-Black Lives Matter. um, When I was in the Caribbean, I thought I was black. Now that I've moved to Europe, I discovered that I'm mixed race and um, post-Black Lives Matter. I, I recognize myself as, as being the right kind of black, meaning mm. <laughs> um, light-skinned mixed race black, which um, majority, many majority racial communities are more comfortable to deal with. The kind of skin mm. complexion that allowed Bob Marley to be very popular, um, mm. that allowed um, Prince you Harry's to wife mm. to not be so popular mm. and allowed mm. Barack Obama To become the first um, Black president of the United States.
0: Mm.
2: So I'll leave it there for now. Looking forward to a conversation um, between us, Joe and Stig. Mm. Oh, did I mention? Yeah, Stig mentioned I'm a prison chaplain and all that. So, yeah. yeah, Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: So perhaps that's a good place to start off is is thinking about I know you've worked in both areas of chaplaincy in healthcare and in prisons. Where do you see the overlaps, the synergies, and where are things? different in those two different contexts?
2: I think the privilege of stepping away from, from prison chaplaincy back into, he, in, into healthcare chaplaincy, and then back now into prison chaplaincy is, is, has really helped shape my thinking as one would expect. But I'll, I'll illustrate as to how, how different the scenarios are. When I joined um, as chaplain, and actually the, the job role at that time was spiritual care worker. Which is interesting so if you think of this the the alleged status of a chaplain in both the nhs less so but certainly in the prison service um, a chaplain is a senior managerial um, role b- by virtue of of expected qualifications and and band in terms of hr bands so i was in an, a multi team meeting which is normal for chaplains in the health sector and someone mentioned that one of the young people had arrested and, and noticed the look of horror on my face. This was in a hospice context. And 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 realized that it was a con- consequence of me being in Chaplaincy in prison for so long, said, no, Leon, we didn't have a child racing through the hallways with the scissors in a wheelchair. And I, and I suddenly realized, yeah, yeah, yeah. Prison Chaplaincy does automatically prime you for, um, context of violence between people, which fortunately, healthcare chaplaincy does not have between patients and staff. It certainly has a fair amount of that between staff and staff. Um, but I hasten to say, usually not physical violence. We have a lot of other forms of violence that's used. Mm. Um, in the prison chaplaincy sector, So there's a lot of security processes that you have to go through. You go nowhere without keys. In the chaplaincy suites where I work in, there's a huge distinction between um, the core chaplaincy work, which a lot of it's it's statutory. So there's a a huge level of oversight, a different kind of oversight, around first night pressures and and, um, the vulnerability that would happen. Again, if you're thinking prison chaplaincy, there's a distinction to be made between the kind of prison you're in. So if you're in a high security prison, like a category A, where terrorism and safety is a high issue, a lot of people are separated, it'd be very different from if you are in a category C or in a training Mm -hmm. prison, in which people are there because they've been in prison for a long time and they're settled. They just want to get on, do their sentence and not have a troubled life. The, The prison, I've served in that kind of context and I've served in prisons in the Caribbean, um where to be a chaplain basically is to preach jesus christ and bring people to salvation um it's 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 really p- positive and powerful i find here and um not where really i think it needs to be just yet but there's a sense that people are a lot more seized of the fact that we operate in the public space and and we are paid by the public purse mm-hmm. as a consequence the language the ethos the drive um, of, a, of a chaplain has to be to define ourselves as professionals equivalent to others. And probably only 15% of the time resort to anything that requires ecclesiastical authority of the traditional kind. Um, most often we are outing fires in, in a local prison and very often we are gently moving people on in terms of their, their sense of self. Mm. Um, and people. I love, I love that phrase.
1: I love that. Sorry, Leon. I love that phrase. Gently moving people on. Yep. That's almost like you could have that as your strip line, isn't it? It's. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. A, a lovely word. i prefer a strap line rather do. than a strip line, but. Um, that, that's, <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening there, Joe but, Oh, yeah.
0: it's good to be with you, Leon. Honestly, <laughs> I thought, shall I go there?
1: And then I thought, no, I won't.
0: <laughs> 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 Honestly, can you imagine yeah. working with this guy, John?
1: <laughs> but there's, John. there's there's two things that you said as well. It's just just to butt in, if that's all right, uh, which I found really interesting. The one was the idea of you didn't say the word vigilance, but the the when you're in a prison context, there's this this extra sense you have to have of vigilance. Which I work in mental health as well. I think that could be a similar sense of mm-hmm. what else is going on and and mm-hmm. safeguarding people and yourself in a context. And that's an interesting juxtaposition with trying to gently move people on. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I'd really like to explore with you this idea of violence between staff and our role in because we've just had this report about racism within the NHS, haven't we? Which is no surprise to any black staff in the NHS, but a surprise to a lot of white people that that people have that different experience of um going to work so what what role do you think we as chaplains might have in the because we're there for staff as well as for patients or prisoners what role do we have in terms of um noticing and supporting people where there is as you call it, violence between staff?
2: I think one of the things that's, that's special about a chaplaincy team is that if, if, if we are around for long enough, we develop a good solid level of trust between ourselves and the staff at all levels. Uh, and there's a sense that as a chaplain, certainly in the prison sector, but, but even in healthcare, that we have an automatic access to the senior management team that provides us a confidential space to challenge behavior, to report on stuff, to deal and intervene discreetly, uh, to stand down um, behavior that's less, less than professional. For me, because a lot of that is around cultural awareness and coming from a very different context than the dominant, um, not just statistically dominant, but in terms of assumptions of the right to, to make decisions. So've I've had the unfortunate um, challenge of, of senior members of staff in, in my line of work, assuming that because they took a view, it was right. Mm-hmm. And that I needed to I need I need to I would say kow, kowtow, but um, I needed to to engage with a certain level of humility with their view. And I remember practicing that humility, which is um, um, not two million m- many miles from slavery, a slave saying, yes, master, yes, master, sure, uh, I will do that. And once master came on the phone, <clears throat> I've, I, I, I completely forgot um, my place and got really angry and basically pointed out that we are equals here in a conversation. Um, your status in your organization doesn't matter. You have a view. I have a view. And if you are happy to tell me what's the basis of your discomfort, we can have a discussion. But to simply declare your discomfort and expect my behavior to change doesn't wash. Mm. And I think that's, that's a real challenge that, that that in a context of life in Europe, uh, um, for example, is very difficult for people. But again, this this issue doesn't only happen in in, American settings or in English settings, where, where for historical reasons, um, the wasp person is the dominant person. This happens equally in the Caribbean, um, with Chapman's colleagues describing a a man in plats as as if he might be on at risk of being viewed as homosexual, just because. When you pass fifty, your understanding of persons in plats, you have the you think you have the power to tell young people how they should dress, and that kind of stuff, um, and and the music they should listen to, and so it it's it, there, there there's a racial element to it, but frankly it's it's really about power. Yes, yes. and yeah. and and therefore farm and and that when it comes to sexuality or gender. Um, and, and 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 fertility, all those assumptions apply equally. Mm. So for me as a chaplain, the ability to wheel and deal and to change language, to code switch. Yeah. Yes. Yeah around some of those things is a really, really yes. important tool. Identifying to the allies, allies among other dominant communities, and letting them know that we have the capacity to ride a rough if we need to, but we have the skill to be delicate, to be very confidential, to be protective, because we understand institutional framework. Um, Mm. We care about those things. We care about people as people. Uh, Mm. We work in a messy space. Mm. Um, But part of the challenge for that is that we have to be able to model that as a chaplaincy team. And that's often a big issue. You know, I, I, I remember um, a discussion with when I was told by a fellow chaplain, you just need to tell them about the name of Jesus. And, and that chaplain had overheard me saying to some prisoners that part of the problem is that the white privilege of Christianity means that many, many Muslims reject not Christianity, but they, they basically reject the attitude of white people. And which we then conflate with the rejection of Jesus. And I said, "But well, if, if we kind of treated people differently, we may find a different kind of discussion." Mm-hmm. And um, and and I was reminded that the importance of Jesus is 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 where I need to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to some robust dialogues about how often people are called Jesus in the part of the world that I come from. Yeah. And yeah. and if the very pronunciation of Jesus produces miracles, then um, there should be no sickness or poverty in South America. Um, as well as the fact that um, a lo- there's a significant part of the population, um, and I do diversity work in my church settings, who can't speak. So if you can't say the word Jesus, then sorry, no salvation for you then, huh? Kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's, the, it's it's the role of challenging and then loving when people, decide to speak to you again after a few weeks of conversation.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: I
0: I love your use of uh, language, uh, as always, Leon, and uh, just picking up on this idea of uh, code switching as well. I think that that is so, so vital um, to the the work of chaplains, and particularly in in our context with this podcast, because we we want to in if people need a specific a denomination or faith representative then we do our best but we don't always have uh the opportunity to have that facility immediately at hand mm-hmm. and uh it's whoever happens to be talking with a with a patient so we need that kind of code switching within our own heads for us and then the ability to reflect that back uh to them so uh, yeah um you know you're you're t- you're talking of language skills there, um, which and conceptual skills and evaluation, I think, is uh, uh
2: judging almost how to a hand deep, that back. and almost a really deep pluralism around this because yeah. if, if we if we quote switch only with our lips, yes, but people don't feel a deep respect yes. when I say yes. satriya kal or I say salam alaikum or I say blessed be or I say your brethren or, you, you know, I, I, am, I am offering myself to enter into the space of that prisoner or of that person um, or of that patient or of that member of staff and saying as much as I can, I am, I am alongside you. I share when I hop and drop, when I'm approaching a black person, you know, when my uh, uh, tone or my greeting changes, I'm recognizing. Mm-hmm. That in there's a there's an unspoken thing that gives you permission to go deep with your pain, to mm-hmm. go deep with your discomfort. Yes. So I need to have a real competence in in Sikhism, um, in Islam, so that I, I could ask, I could talk about karma rather than grace. So I could talk about uh, reincarnation as as a, or or recycling. Mm. within humanism yeah. as, a, as a way of understanding the value of present experience the future long life or long memory you know that kind of stuff mm. and that's that's not just religious that's black that's <laughs> that, that, that that's that's the distinction that, that coming from a person who understands black african philosophy where as long as you live in the memory of somebody you are alive mm. Mm. So, so, this sense of longevity, this sense of uh, what spirit is about, is, is absolutely valuable. And philosophically, I think the more persons we have who are able to speak and convince their theological betters, uh, and I apologize for the word theology, but they believe. You can betters.
1: apologize for betters um.
2: as well, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah. well again that some of that language is necessary to respect to respect and to ac- and to acknowledge that they inevitably institutionally they are gatekeepers mm-hmm. and and there are people in our teams mm-hmm. who who they attempt even the even though i used the term gentle gently moving people joe earlier the, the attempt to move people itself carries a certain arrogance mm. about the assumption that people need to move to where I am.
0: Yeah, mm.
2: a- and the acknowledging that if that person is not comfortable entering into ministry in a different form of language, or going on the prayer mat with the lads, or uh, you know, facilitating um, um, a Beltane or whatever in paganism. Uh, If I need to protect that member of the team or member of staff from saying, I'm really not comfortable. I need to be able to protect a nurse that says, when I go into minister to this particular patient, I feel it has affected my health and my sleep patterns in the two nights previously. Let's talk this through. Mm. And you basically then go to the nurse lead and say, my sense is that there's something spiritually going on for that person it may well be that we need to assign someone else. And I expect that my competence as a spiritual care worker and understanding those categories um, will be valued at least yeah. by the nurse lead.
1: Yeah. I, something... I... Go on, Joe. Go on. I feel as though I'm monopolizing a bit and he's your friend, <laughs> Steve. <laughs>
0: but, but, um... Yeah, I can talk to him anytime.
1: <laughs> but um, what was I going to say there about not being not being arrogant enough to think we can be there for everybody yes. and being this humbleness about saying well actually I'm not the right fit with that person or I don't know or we haven't got a an affinity there a connection that yeah. makes
2: absolutely makes
1: our interaction useful to them okay. I think that's the that's to me that is an overriding thing about what we should be doing is about being modest and humble about our own limitations our own knowledge and that's what i've come up against a few times with colleagues who believe because they are say a christian they can minister to everybody they can they've got it all covered and not realizing unlike i mean you have had this hugely um varied life where you've you've code switched and you've you've lived with different communities and you've had to um, negotiate as a black man your way into structures which um, would otherwise have excluded you you have a range a depth of uh, intuition and skills that not a lot of people have Um, and I think they need to be valued and recognized we need to recognize what we don't have as much as what we do have
2: And yet, one of the things that's uniquely powerful about about Britain is that you can walk into a, a room with 20 persons, 18 of whom are white, but you have in that room two persons who identify as Caribbean, two who identify as Kenyan, three who identify as Zimbabwean, one who is Asian in their heads, Another one who, who lived in India and, and is a Buddhican. And there are not many, many places where that complexity of diversity is available to us. And I think sometimes in the UK, in all of the mad stuff about multiracial Britain and dumbing it down into multiracial but monocultural, we don't value the complexity of stories that for all of the disasters of colonial history is an opportunity for modeling to the world that many other cultures don't have. Wow.
0: There's a, a positive thought, <laughs> inspiring thought. I'm, but I, I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm still, want, like Joe, wanting to go back to uh, this thing about moving on, um, Leon, because I think isn't that perhaps one of the differences uh, with, with health care that when we talk about moving on we are talking about moving to where the patient wants to go it's not so much that we are trying to guide uh, we're maybe trying to keep safe but we actually go where the patient leads us you know we follow yeah. them in their own thinking as deciding on their own values yeah. and I'm not sure is, is it fair to say it's a bit more difficult for you in prison chaplaincy um, because in healthcare chaplaincy you don't necessarily find someone wanting to um, go down criminal routes or you know or or to to leave particular communities behind that aren't healthy for them Um, or have I just am I just hoisting my assumptions on you and the
2: the prison system I think because in healthcare chaplaincy, it, it, my sense is that in many ways, the presenting problem is the problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, the reason why they're there is, is where people are often focused on mm-hmm. until, for example, it's clear that they're gonna die and then, and then, and then that matrix might begin to change. Um, and I think one of the things that prison chaplaincy Invites us to explore it, that there's always a layer of trauma inside mm-hmm. stuff that people are dealing with as a chaplain, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: and 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 we perhaps you know even in this conversation thinking about my work as a healthcare chaplain, the the, 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 the taking the time or having the time to unpack stories um, about people's lives and priorities and family and and and, and pain could be huge the thing is that if if because the focus is on getting you better and then returning you to your previous time of functioning or sending you back to um the afterlife or the next life or you know um, whatever the priority feels different in in prison chaplaincy there's a pressure to 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 help you get to the point where you don't return to prison And we are very, very clear about the context that that we don't have control over. So that reminder, for example, that success for me as a prison chaplain means that I'll see you back in prison in two months time, not two weeks time. Mm -hmm. And because the level of trauma that you've been through, that's just the reality. The only chance I could do, the only chance of, of change is if you get a long sentence and you're engaged with Chaplaincy for three years in significant friendship interventions and support and unpacking and meeting your family and all that, but it, that depends on the kind of prison you're in. Mm-hmm. Because I've been in, I've been in situations where I don't see guys back, even though I've been in that prison for, for five years. But in the prison that I am in, no, we see people back in two months. Mm-hmm. And the hope is that over 15 years, partly because of the work of Chaplaincy, but perhaps equally so because mm-hmm. they grow up beyond age 13, they can't run from the police anymore um, <laughs> or they have children, that lives begin to change. But it's also an element that my work is also intergenerational. I'm also actively trying to plot a way to access the children, the spouses of prisoners, even though my primary responsibility is the prisoner. So that we are, con- we are doing work to make sure that we reduce the amount of victims in the future. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, the statistics wouldn't exactly bear that out, but my, my expectations are not a big change. And I expect drama, and I expect trauma, and I expect um, the cancer... That was in remission, to suddenly show its head again. To you know, to use a metaphor that crosses both streams.
0: Yeah. Mm. So, to that extent, you, you, prison chaplaincy is more palliative than curative.
2: Oh, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 for many of a lot of our, there's a risk certainly in, a, in, in some kinds of prisons, particularly reception prisons. So much of chaplaincy work is is outing fires, is making phone calls, is, is, is somebody's wife calls at, at 70, because I uh, can't cope with the fact that, you know, at 65, my husband is in prison. You know, um, we're dealing with historic sex offenses. Um, we're dealing with re- really, really, really deep Trauma. We're dealing with people who, who are um, locked away for so much of the time that they're not visible as they would be in a hospital bed. Mm. Um, and they don't have the space. So the level of compression of space and the risk by the persons in the cell next to them are so great that we are trying to keep people at certain decent Level of functioning, and that's not just prisoners; that's staff as well,
1: mm-hmm.
2: just because of the, the the compressive, oppressive nature. But if you go to a bigger prison, where where people are in the space for three or four years, and people are holding down jobs in you know as a prisoner and going to work at eight o'clock and coming back, quote unquote, home, you know, um, at five o'clock, and and there's association time and. It's a very different feeling from a fast churn prison.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm very struck by it takes a different sort of chaplain to work in prisons probably than working in healthcare or hospice work or mental health. And I think there's a level of resilience probably that you need um, in dealing with that constant and deeply unfair trauma. That people that brings people to prison you know before the crime mm. you know that, that, that has brought people to prison and yeah. the, the lack of agency they have mm. to make things better and I think when you're in hospital hospice is different I think but in hospital you're working with people finding their own way out of a situation. Mm. In prison, yeah. I think that finding a way out it's going to be much more about your getting your head to a place where you can find your way out. I yeah. don't know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm yeah. just reflecting yeah. here. But yeah. I think um, the challenge for chaplains, I mean, for you, when you go home, what is a good day for you? What, what makes you feel as though you've done a good job?
2: One or two good conversations um, where you felt that you went into a deep place with a guy, and you saw, you saw somebody who last week, you know, had a a kidney bean size pair and they're beginning to grow up here like a man. And, um, but you're fully aware that all it just needs is one ingestion of spice and they're gonna be back to kidney sized beans. Um, You know, and and that's positive for us, Um, providing solid staff support. Getting, if I go to work with 15 things to do and I come back with 17 things undone, that's been a good day, um, because it's clear that you don't. There's a lot of stuff you don't have control over. Whereas a healthcare chaplain, the pace is has always been, in my experience, a lot slower. Um, um, we can take time with people, um, and 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 we're not we're not crossing functions. As a as a prison chaplain, you're always reminded that you do have a responsibility to the security institutions. So we have to be conscious of, of risk at all times. Every yeah. phone call is a risk. If you call a family member potential or or a friend, you could be facilitating drug movement. You could be facilitating harm to somebody else. You um, could be breaching a court order, wrong victim contact. Um, so you're always, always on the alert. And of course, with us as with with just the word chaplain. When you show up, it means somebody has died. So your very yeah. presence often means,, you know what's happening, even though the reality is, very often if you do a good job, you get feedback that's saying, actually, was, we notice that when people come from your prison and we um, to us and and we mention that we're chaplains, they seem to relax. What is it you guys have been doing? Mm-hmm. And it's something about us just hanging on on the wings with the lads and feeling human because we're not in uniform mm-hmm. and and even though um there are and uh, maybe in there might be space at another time for a discussion around mutuality but we are the persons who give a sense that agency exists and you can feed us you can teach us we believe that you have value inside of you we're not just trying to fix you as an object we we value you um i i was once acu- I was once asked if myself and another person were friends, um, and I went, um, "Yeah," but I was also uh, uh, prisoners. Know well enough to know that if they cross the line, I'll be the first one to make sure that information is passed on um, because we have to keep the institution safe. But if, but the same thing happens in a hospice, we have to we have to have two translations when when a family thought that a particular drug would have a certain effect and now their family member is comatose Um, but their pastor believes he can pray and if he prays that god will bring them back but the doctor agrees yep i'll pop in in the morning and take and to reduce the how many milligrams is in the driver then the pastor thinks his prayer is powerful but the doctor and i know what really happened (laughs) <laughs> and yes. that's fine yeah that's that's important translation work that yeah. we are always doing between professions between cultures between colleagues yeah
0: mm-hmm. i i do want to just pick up on something though um uh, we need to keep a, a, an eye on the time really in one sense we should be rounding this off uh but we and we can always have you back again leon i you know we barely scratch the cell, I'm getting thumbs up from Joe, by the way, (laughs) the uh, Uh, but I think mm -hmm. when you talk about what was a good day for you, I think Mm -hmm. one of the things was, because you talked about getting good feedback, you don't always get good feedback in what I'm going to to, uh, mention to you, which is that there were times with having someone with your breadth of experience, a breadth of having lived life, uh, your 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 empathy, when you actually were in a position to flag up is a patient or a particular situation involving a family being treated as fairly as it could be. Mm -hmm. Because, because of your breadth of experience, you were able to recognise those times when actually in our ignorance, we weren't actually, tri- and I'm thinking particularly of some of uh, the experiences that you brought out with uh, black and Asian patients and families, mm-hmm. where you, you challenged those right. around. And yeah. uh, I, again, I suppose this is re- leading back to violence between staff as well, because there were some staff who just said, oh my goodness, Leon, you're so right. How do we address this? You know mm-hmm. how do how do we go there? And others who mm-hmm. took great offence—is <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm overstepping it by saying great offence. But there, there were those who certainly found it challenging
2: yeah. to
0: have their praxis uh, questioned mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we didn't have the the the, the knowledge.
2: Um, yeah. So part of that part of that pr- is privilege.
0: Yeah. Um,
2: um, a lot of a lot of people who come into chaplaincy um have a base of respect in their community that's, that's that that is significant and 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 when you are when when a colleague from a different profession or from a different social context um responds to your input as if you don't exist and you don't have a, a clue it rubs on two levels it's just downright disrespectful, stupid, and risky, but it also sadly uh, carries this weight of, of, for me certainly, and I've seen with other people, um, I, I have seen many, many colleagues um, from other racial groups basically exclude themselves from contributing um, because they have basically, they, they have gone, I know what's gonna happen, it doesn't make sense talking leon i'm glad you spotted it but just just leave it they don't listen anyway and and as an as organizations we we therefore are less effective less effect, uh, efficient in our work because we don't access now if you are people like me and you grew up in a situation where both by education and race and other things you're part of a dominant c- community you don't easily um, accept being put down, but I, I think as I age, I, I have become protective of people who, who as an English person, are struggling to appreciate how come someone who does not look—they don't carry the optics of a sensible person based on what they see on television. How how is that person? speaking sense and I don't understand what the person is saying. Because if you're black or English is a second language, you shouldn't understand those things. You, mm-hmm. have, you, should, you should be waiting to be taught by a white person. And that discomfort is a challenge. Mm-hmm. I, I have had um, people invite me to, to support their communities to work on race issues and then, and then say, Leon, but I can't invite you to the meeting because people, people are so uncomfortable. Mm. They want to be safe, but they don't want to be brave. <laughs> and, and when they feel pain, they, they, their assumptive position is not, why am I feeling pain? Is why the hell did you make me feel bad? Mm. And culturally, that's what we do in the UK. Our, our definition of, of abuse is what's felt. Mm-hmm. By, the, by the individual, and, I, and, and that's entirely valid at a certain level. But in order to have real discussions, you know, a particular police force, um, the white police officers were quite angry that they were being excluded from courageous discussions. And I was part of a, a group called the Religion, Race and Belief um, Forum, and we basically supported the, 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 the deputy chief Kong's, um Je- deputy chief chief constable who said until the black people and asian people in this force feel safe enough no white people will be in that forum because as soon as you enter you're not because you're wicked but because you sometimes don't understand you carry in your essence the optics of the oppressor and there's a and I, i've said to people I said there's a reason why we don't put men at the front desk of a hostel for battered women. Mm. It's not because all men are evil. Mm. It's because the fact that you're a man, I'm sorry, you can't be at the front desk. Mm. (sighs) And we need to help our colleagues to understand that the input of of racialized professionals is not aggressive or to put down. It's because we understand the pain and there's an instinctive matching that happens when people realize you're a woman, I can yeah. talk to you.
1: Yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. You know what, we're gonna to have to leave it there, Leon. I don't know if Joe was wanting to leave in with another question, but I think we'll have to save that for another episode. Uh, <laughs> we always seem to overrun, And uh, but thank you, that has been brilliant and inspiring and thank you for being you as as always oh and um uh, thank you both yeah we we, we gather you've got uh, a really big day on weekend big
1: day on up. sunday is it tell us about that
2: oh gosh um yes for the first in my, my life i have purchased a shirt with a clerical collar oh that um my intention is to wear once and only once so to acknowledge the role of my betters. <laughs> and having <laughs> and having done that i shall return to my normal coat of dress jeans and t-shirt or an african bishiki. Lovely. Um,
1: well i wish you today,
2: occasionally a tie yeah. just just so that just before i get thrown out of my head People will realise that I'm capable of conforming behaviour compared to time. Uh, just for
0: those <laughs> listening, Leon, tell us exactly what what is happening,
2: uh, you know, for the people at home. <laughs> um, having been gently moved on from one particular part of the Christian um, uh, political environment, institutional framework. <clears throat> I'm sorry. I um, Another part of the, of, of the Christian network is now recognizing my call as an ordained minister. So I have been a doctor for the last several years, but I've served as a pharmacist for 10 years. And that's fine. Um, and I now can work as, as a doctor again.
1: Oh, well, that's great news and enjoy your day. I presume you'll have all the family round and lots of people eating and Absolutely. drinking and yeah, I oh, will have a lovely day. Congratulations. Yeah.
0: That, from, from both of us. Yeah. We wish you really well. I'm sure you'll uh, <laughs> do brilliant work in, uh, in your latest venture. Uh, thank you. But uh, but thank you ever so much. And, um, just to say to those at home uh, listening or driving to work or wherever you are listening, um, do please get in touch, do please challenge us. Um, We are actually now beginning to get offers from people saying they would like to uh, come and speak to us, to share their views, um, share concerns and worries, and that is such a, a big step forward for us. So um, we still would love to be deluged by more requests uh, and offers, but um, do, do get in touch, uh, open up chaplaincy at gmail.com, and we really would like to hear from you. So, From me, Stig, white Anglican priest.
2: (laughs) Bye for now.
1: Bye for now, and thank you, Leon.
2: Thank you both. Every best in your work.
0: Thank you. Bye. Bye.